www.ashbusiness.com. Business inspiration for architects, engineers, and contractors. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the AEC Business Podcast in 2015. This is Arni Heiskanen. You're going to hear a very inspirational recording from our webinar in April 2011. Dave Gray, the founder of Explain and co-founder of Bothing, shares his thoughts on innovation, design and collaboration. The title of the presentation is Gamestorming. Dave has written a book with the same title and released another book called The Connected Company. You can learn more by visiting Dave's websites at davegrayinfo.com and gamestorming.com. And these links are also in the show notes. Uh, my name is Dave Gray, and um, I'm here today to talk to you about something that I've been calling gamestorming. Uh, so I'd like to start by asking you to imagine a scenario. So imagine that you are in charge of a meeting, and you're going to be flying in uh, important people from around the world. You have a short period of time, and you're going to have a bunch of very intelligent people in the room, and you have some kind of outcome that you're going to be responsible for getting. You know, you need you have those smart people, you have all those um, good ideas, and you're in charge of making sure that the meeting is as effective as possible within a very limited uh, amount of time. So the question is, and I'm sure we've all been in situations like this, so the question I have for you is, uh, what do you do? How do you plan that meeting? How do you organize it? Um, how do you think ahead so that when you have those people, you get the best possible result? So one option is something that I think of as the boredom or boring business as usual. So the way you do that is you set an agenda, you have a time period, um, you know, you have uh, things that are going to happen according to a plan, you know, step one, step two, step three, and so forth. And what happens? People are, um, I think, you know, when people are coming into a meeting and there's nothing um, beyond an agenda, uh, you have one person presenting at a time, uh, other people are, pay you know, per perhaps not paying attention, they're checking their email, um, you know, looking at their Blackberries and so forth. And what happens is when you're going just kind of around the meeting sequentially having people present is you have this, uh, this effect where people just, you know, their attentions wander and they can't really pay attention and you don't really get much out of it because really there's almost no point of having them in the meeting in the first place because they're not paying attention to each other. They're just waiting for their turn. Uh, another option, and I think we've all seen this as well, is the chaos of creativity, where you you don't have a lot of structure to the meeting, but you have sticky notes and whiteboards and so forth. And if you're lucky, um, you get people in the room and they start, you know, uh, moving sticky notes around and talking. And you know, but but one of the problems with this kind of activity is, without some kind of structure, you have people interrupting each other, talking over each other. Um, you know, everyone's generating ideas. Maybe not not as many people are listening, and so. At the end of this kind of a meeting, you can end up with a lot of outcomes, but no no real order to it and nowhere to take it. So you have a room full of sticky notes that are filled with ideas and no commitments and nothing that uh, uh, you know nothing seems to be coming out of that either because you don't you have you may have a million ideas but you don't really know what you're going to do with them. So sometimes it may seem as if your choices are between this boredom this nothingness where it really nothing's happening at all and this chaos of creativity where so many things are happening that it's overwhelming and in either case you really don't get the kind of the result that you want <clears throat> so you know i think so imagine uh 
imagine this. You know, you, how would you like to be the uh, the meeting Jedi? In other words, that person who can bring just enough energy and focus to the meeting that everybody's engaged and involved, the ideas are flowing, and yet not so much so that it's chaos. It's that sweet spot in the middle between boredom and, and chaos. I like to think about it this way. Everything starts with energy. You have, um, uh, you know, when you need food in order to eat. You need, you need to put fuel in your car in order to make your car go. Uh, energy is really the beginning of all activities, and meetings are no exception. So uh, I have another, another kind of thought experiment for you. Think about the difference between a campfire and a forest fire. Um, what's the difference between a campfire and a forest fire? Well, one's in control and one's out of control. Um, now, they both start with uh, fuel. They both need a spark to get started, and they need fuel to keep going. But at the fundamental level, the difference between um, forest fire and a campfire is structure. We all have tried, in our, any of us who have gone camping have tried to put together a, a, a campfire and had it, you know, not light. So that's kind of like the boredom of business as usual. When you have a structure and you can't get this, you, you keep putting sparks into it and nothing seems to light. That's a bad structure. And a good structure is when you, uh, you light the spark and you can get a flame going and you can create something productive with it. So different structures are going to yield different kinds of results. If you put um, a spark into a campfire, you're going to get, you know, some radiating heat around the fire. If you put a spark into a wood stove, you're going to get a, a different kind of heat. You put a spark into a hot water heater, you're going to get hot water. If you put it into a furnace, you're going to get uh, forced air heat. If you put it into a gas stove, you might be able to boil some water to make your tea. Uh, the, the point of this is that depending on the spark is the same, the energy is the same in every case, but depending on the structure that you put that spark into, you're going to get a different kind of result. And this same principle can apply to meetings. Um, energy follows the path of least resistance, you know, you, and that's another structural point. You know, you put a ball at the top of a hill, it's going to roll downhill. You uh, Traffic will follow the structure laid down by the roads. Um, you know, irrigation, when you, you irrigate uh, in order to get water to your fields, um, the water will follow the path of the irrigation ditches. That's just the principle of structure and how you manage energy and energy flows. So when it comes to meetings, you know, first begin by thinking about what kind of result that you want. The different kinds of uh, uh, results are going to require different kinds of structures. If you want to generate new ideas, you're going to have one kind of meeting, or you want to get people to come to agreement, uh, or you want to get them to make tough decisions, solving problems, unravel complexity, plan a big project, what have you. Um, typically, you know, we do these kind of meetings, and we run them all pretty much the same way. So we have a very similar structure, but we expect different kinds of results. And that's, just, I think, just crazy. So let's talk about results for a second. In business and in life, Generally speaking, in, when we have a goal, we're trying to achieve something, we're trying to get from point A to point B. Point A being where we are today, point B being where we want to go to. This is a picture of Henry Ford. Now, Henry Ford had a very uh, simple, in, in our current terms, uh, place that he had to, had to get to. He had a, a prototype car, you know, one car, Model T, and he wanted to make a lot of them. That's his point A, that's his point B. Now, if you think about it, um, Henry Ford was, a, was an innovator and he had, you know, came up with a way to get from point A to point B. 
So we know how to do that um, in a manufacturing sense. First, we define what B is very precisely. Then we break down and uh, break it down into parts. We design a series of steps that is going to get us there, and we do it a lot of times. That's a business process. That's how Henry Ford did it. Um, that's how we get a lot of things done in business. That's one way to get things done. This is um, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison had a point A and a point B as well. For, for Thomas Edison, um, point A, the, the, the path to point from point A to point B was not so clear. Um, the light bulb had already been invented. I don't know if, if uh, a lot of people know that, but I found in my research um, the light bulb, you know, Edison didn't invent the light bulb, but the light bulbs at the time were very expensive and hard to manufacture. So his goal was to get a cheap light bulb. And his creative process, you know, basically when you don't know what B looks like, you don't have a prototype, you can't deconstruct it, so you can't build a business process to get there. Basically, you have to do a lot of trial and error and a lot of experimentation. This is a very different kind of process to getting a result than a, what we think of as a typical business process that you might put an assembly line together for. Edison had a uh, what some people would call the first modern research lab, where he had people working together in uh, large groups. He had a giant warehouse with lots of different materials. He had uh, he put people together in cross-functional groups where you ha might have an engineer and a chemist and a uh, biologist working together or a machinist working together. And he gave them what, what I would call fuzzy goals, which by which he would say, we want to do something um, you know, uh, like the phonograph, but we want to do it for the eye instead of the ear. And that was his way of saying, we want to make something that can record um, video. He didn't have the word video at the time but something that would do for the eye what the phonograph did for the ear. And that's what I would call a fuzzy goal. And then he would put people to work and let, give them access to all these materials and let them work toward that fuzzy goal. All right, Edison and Ford were actually friends. So this is them working, and this is them in, I think, uh, Edison's laboratory. When you think about a structure of a business process such as Henry Ford used when he was creating uh, cars, the point of a business process is very is a, is a kind of a structure to get you the same result every time. So think about it this way: um, it's like a pipe. You put something into the pipe, and assuming that the pipe is connected and and continues to move things forward all the way along, you're going to get the same result every single time from a business process. And that's great when you want a predictable, reliable result. Now, if you think about a game, a game has a very different structure. You may start with all the pieces in this very particular position. Think of a game of chess or a game of pool. But if a game gave you the same result every time, it would be a very boring game, wouldn't it? I mean, you, you, um, you, what you want out of a game is there's a certain amount of structure that you have to follow, but you're going to get a different result every time. And a game is a great, that makes a game a great structure for creative results, for, for design. So if you think of a business process as a structure for predictability, you can think of a game as a structure for possibility. Now, they were friends, as I said, and I think it, when you talk about games as a design, as a, as, a, as a way to structure meetings, you want to remember that some things are linear and some are nonlinear, but they can still be friends. By which I mean, um, you don't want necessarily creativity and creative results in every part of your business, especially not all at once. You, you want those things to happen in a, um, uh, in a um, let's say, finance. You want your financial um, outcomes to be very consistent and predictable. 
You, you may not want a lot of creativity in your finance department, but you may want it in your product design team. So I think of game storming simply, it's a collection of structures for uh, tackling those fuzzy goals. It's a collection of structures for meetings when you are not sure in advance what the outcome is, which is the case for a lot of knowledge work. So what is a game? What do I mean by a game? Well, every, everything is a game in a way. Um, this is the game of life. I don't know if you play that in, or if you've had that in Finland. You, uh, if not, you, I'm sure you have similar things. But the game is a structure that is, simulates, in some way, some aspects of reality. It simplifies reality and simulates it. So a game, you can think of a game as a world, uh, a world that you can create in order to explore. So what are the elements of a game world? So one is, um, okay, so you have a boundaries in time and space. You have a, a frame. You have a beginning and an end. You have a place that you're going to play the game. Um, you have players, so people who are going to participate in the game. You have rules that are the things that you use to make de decisions and determinations during the game. You have artifacts that represent things. Uh, and you have a goal, something that you're shooting for. Let's think of the Monopoly, for example. Uh, you have pieces to represent the players. You have the board, which represents the world that you're playing in. You have rules, which are the things that make the flow. Uh, when you pass go, collect $200. You have things that, uh, that break the flow, that create chance, that create um, random kinds of opportunities, like dice and uh, the chance cards. And you have also all these artifacts, like cards and play money and houses and hotels and, and other things that are all represent various aspects of the world that might move or change or be uh, variable over time. And if you think about a meeting room, you have all the same things at your disposal. You have a whiteboard, usually, or some kind of uh, flip chart or some kind of space that can represent you can use to represent the world. You have uh, people who can represent themselves, of course. Um, or they can represent other people. You know, people in the meeting room, like say a salesperson, a, uh, a customer, because they know the customer's world very well. You, have, uh, you can have rules for the meeting that are the things you use to create flow, and you can use things to do things to break the flow. You can move people around the room. You can ask them to change places. You can uh, shuffle uh, cards and so forth. You have... Uh, and you have sticky notes and index cards that you can use as playing pieces that can pretty much represent anything that you can possibly imagine. Now, you can also think of a game as a journey. So a game isn't only the world. You take a journey. Uh, there's a path that you take through that world. You're getting, again, trying to get from A to B. You have a goal. Um, I talked a little bit about fuzzy goals. And I think that they're a very important aspect in creative and design work because when you begin, you know, there's a tendency in business to say, well, we want to set the exact criteria and the exact target and get the exact specifications of the end result. And in order to do that, um, we have to actually have a very clear idea of what the end result is. Well, in the real world, as we know, when we're working on design problems, we don't always know what the, uh, the final result is that we're going to get. We can't always plan in advance for that. We have to set off into the unknown because we have to start thinking about it so we can start learning about it. Um, and I think about the time, uh, the kind of the age of exploration where people from uh, Europe were setting off into to them the unknown and they were looking for things like, uh, you know, they were trying to find India or Fountain of Youth or the City of Gold and they had all these different things that they were shooting for. But really the important thing was those goals got them 
into the ships and starting to move out there so they could start to discover what was really there. Because really, when you begin a creative project, you often have no idea what you, what you need to know in order to get where you want to go. That's why fuzzy goals, I think, are very important. Um, I'm just, I'm gonna, this is just kind of an, uh, a, a sketch I drew to talk about how we get to fuzzy goals. But um, let me just put it this way. You're, you're, you're searching and you find a few diamonds. And you think, okay, well, these three are kind of located around this area, and you start to spiral in on that, but you find nothing. So you, then you go and start spiraling out again. And as what what happens is, as you move towards those fuzzy goals, as you as you take action, you discover things. And as you discover things, the goals need to shift. Um, there, there's example after example after example of this in businesses that started to do one thing and evolved to doing something very different because as they learned from their environment, as they learned from customers, they evolved. So what are some characteristics of fuzzy goals? Um, for one thing, they're sensory. Fuzzy goals uh, tend to have a, a very um, tangible nature to them to make these ideas shareable. The idea of a fountain of youth um, is a pretty tangible idea. It's going to motivate people and get them excited. Um, they tend to be emotional because passion and interest generate, helps to generate the momentum. And like I said, uh, movement toward fuzzy goals is progressive. So the goal, as you learn, the goal changes. So I think of it somewhat like stepping stones when you're trying to cross uh, a river. You might be kind of, you know, not know where all the stepping stones are when you start, but as you go, you can start to find them. So we've talked about it, you know, the a game being a world and a journey. Uh, I think a play is another um, apt metaphor because a play is something that you can design and structure in advance. A play is an experience that you can create for other people that has both the idea of a world and a journey in it. Again, from A to B. So um, this is the structure that I use when I think about uh, games or designing games and designing meeting games. You have the uh, three acts, like you might have three acts in a play. Uh, the beginning, you have the people and you have the resources, including you know the materials you might have in the meeting, the meeting space, what have you. Um, and in the first act, the opening act, you want to set the stage, um, create the you know lay out the context, let people see and understand, and maybe get to meet each other, but get to get a sense of what we're here to do. Um, in the second phase, you want to um, examine, explore, and experiment the things that people put on the table in the first phase. And in the third stage, um, you want to come to a conclusion. You want to reach uh, some kind of conclusion decisions, um, some kind of outcome that gets you um, something. Now, even a short uh, meeting can get you a tangible outcome. And usually, almost always, you know, these things are stages on the way to something else. Think of them as stepping stones. Think of each meeting as a stepping stone that's moving you to some degree, greater or lesser degree, closer to your result that you want. So um, think of the three stages as an opening stage where you're trying to get um, ideas and as much diversity of ideas as possible. It's a divergent stage where you want to get people diverging from each other to create as many uh, possibilities and options as possible. You think of the second stage as an emergent phase where you are taking all those um, ideas and materials and exploring and experimenting with them to see what you can kind of um, possibilities can emerge. And then you think of the third stage as a closing or convergent stage where you're taking those uh, emergent ideas, you're taking those, those things that may have come out of the meeting and you're trying to um, turn them into concrete decisions and actions. 
Okay. Now, if we had a little more time, um, I'd love to go through an exercise to show you what I mean. But uh, since you all have a copy of the book, um, I hope you'll take a look at that. There's about 80 different uh, games in there that can be applied to all kinds of different approaches. And uh, so, but I want to close today by talking about Christopher Columbus. And uh, again, you know, to get back onto the idea of fuzzy goals for a minute, because I think it's important as we walk into meetings, when we have an outcome in mind, we want to think about um we want to remain open to the kinds of things that we might not have expected. Now, before I go into this Columbus story, I do want to say um, that I fully recognize that there were indigenous peoples in the, the Americas when Columbus set out on his expedition. And there are lots of different ways to interpret um, what happened in a larger socio-political context. Um, but I want to talk here simply about um, Columbus as an explorer and the the idea of exploring and stepping out into the unknown. So hopefully you can put the any um, you know socio political ideas aside for a second and think of Columbus in the very traditional sense. Columbus, his plan was to get from the Canary Islands to Japan, to set off from the Canary Islands and to uh, make his way to Japan. Now um, his idea was that. Um, you know, he'd be able to do that in a, in a single voyage. Now, um, he, at that time, you know, um, the maps kind of ended as they went off to the uh, to the west. Um, although, contrary to popular opinion, there was not uh, a sense in anyone's mind that the world was flat. People knew that the world was round. In fact, in uh, about uh, 300 B.C., uh, a Greek mathematician whose name escapes me at the moment, um, had actually calculated the circumference of the world to a pretty, uh, uh, pretty near to the size that we actually know it to be today. Um, so people knew the world was round and they, they knew roughly how big it was. Now, um, well, I just put this in because I like the pictures, <laughs> but the idea that there are monsters out there is a real one. Anyway, so Columbus had an estimate of the distance between the uh, Canary Islands and Japan. The actual distance between the Canary Islands and Japan was dramatically larger. In fact, at the time, uh, there was no ship that could have made it from the Canary Islands to Japan um, if there had been purely ocean in between. Now, um, what happened was, and this is why Columbus had trouble raising money, he went all around all over Europe trying to raise money for his venture. So just like any entrepreneur trying to raise venture capital today, um, and pr pretty much nobody gave him the money because they, uh, they thought, well, this guy's crazy. He's, he's wrong. He, you know, Columbus's theory was that the earth is, uh, actually smaller than, um, than people thought it was. So, you know, you have, uh, on the left here, you have the, the conventional view, which was ha about half of the circumference of earth is land. So you can think of it from, uh, let's say from nine o'clock to three o'clock in the image on the left here, uh, that's, you know, Europe all the way through to uh, China and about half the world was ocean. Columbus's theory, which he went around Europe trying to convince people of was, listen, um, the earth is smaller than we all think it is. And it's, there's less ocean there than we think there is. So therefore, um, you know, we, uh, uh, you know, we can make it to Japan and it's going to be a lot shorter than people think. Well, Columbus was, was wrong. He was a terrible uh, navigator, it turns out. And 
uh, he was wrong. This is the reason most people uh, turned him down when he asked them for money. Now, um, what happened, and I, finally, uh, Queen Isabella of Spain um, decided to give him some money, but I think even they felt that this was a pretty much a long shot, that they were going to spend a little bit of money with the hope that, you know, it was a high-risk part of their portfolio, let's say. Now, the actual fact that we can uh, we now know today is that uh, the distance was pretty much correct in the conventional view. However, there was this big landmass in between that nobody knew about. So there was a, 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 a huge unknown element in that equation. So whether We know there's ocean there, um, but we, we, nobody knew was that there's actually land in the middle there. And that changed the whole equation. And, and you know, that's why Columbus discovered America and, and so forth, arguably. So my point is this. When it comes to um, uh, discovery, when you set out on a voyage of discovery, you can't know what you don't know. Um, Columbus was wrong about everything. He was wrong about the size of the world. Everyone else was right. He was wrong about the distance to India. Everyone else was right. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's the one who made the discovery, not everyone else. And uh, why is this important? I think it's fundamental what I think of as the paradox of discovery. You're going to find things that you're not looking for when you're not looking. Um, and that's the nature of discovery. That's what discovery is. It's finding things that are useful. But if you're not looking for something, then you won't find anything. So, you know, we have a tendency in business to overanalyze, to, to, to find reasons to say no to things. Um, and, you know, often those reasons to say no are very valid. They're very accurate. This won't work. This is why it won't work. Um, this is a, a faulty trail. This is why it's faulty. Well, you know, I think that's fine, um, but you've got to realize that if you're not actually stepping out there and taking a look and taking a risk, then the chances are that you're, you're, you're not going to find anything. You're just going to be sitting in your room saying no to things. So you've got to step out there. And I guess my, my big point is uh, don't overthink it. Um, step out there. Try things, even things that you suspect might be wrong or might not lead you anywhere productive because motion is the important thing. If, as long as you're moving towards something – you're going to learn things, and that's what's going to help you uh, get where you need to go. Um, there's a blog. Uh, I put this up here just to share. Um, game streaming is not something that is um, uh, something that's complete. It's certainly something that's evolving and in motion. Um, we invite people not only to come and take a look at and read the blog, but also to become authors. Because as if you take the book and you start actually applying some of these structures in your meetings, I think you'll find that um, they naturally evolve. So you might start doing uh, one thing, and after you've done it a couple times, see ideas for moving it into different directions. So I think, uh, to me, it's very important that you look at the uh, the game streaming stuff as a as a as a very open source kind of toolkit. Um, and what we hope is that as you do that, you'll come back to the blog and share your experiences and comments. And we already have some people sharing some very interesting stories of how they've used game streaming in their work. So uh, the blog is a place that we want to invite people to come and participate. There's already uh, several more games on the blog than are in the book, uh, probably maybe 20 more than, than were in, actually in the book in the first place. Um, so that's the, that's the place in the blog. And... Uh, that's my Twitter name if anyone wants to contact me. Also, uh, the game streaming hashtag on Twitter is a great way to connect with people. If you have questions, there is a whole community. It's a global community that's out there doing this stuff. 
And um, if you just if you have any questions, the the quickest way to get an answer is to just put them out there with the game storming as a hashtag and um, uh, and start start having that conversation. So thank you very much for your time. AEC-Business.com. Business inspiration for architects, engineers, and contractors.